The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Manchester United v Manager Less United ends 2 2 at Old Trafford. We look at Leeds giving Jesse his Martian orders and ask what's next at Ellen Road apart from Man United again. We'll also be talking Man City with panic on the streets of Manchester and elsewhere in what looks like a weekend of high-tension fixtures. Arsenal-Brentford, Leicester-Spurs and the Merseyside derby. All that plus what a TV would cost you if it had gone up by as much as footballers have in the last four decades in this Totally Football Show. Thursday the 9th of February and today's totally features Tom Williams. Welcome back, Tom. Hi, James. Nice to see you. Jay Harris is with us again. Hello, Jay. Thanks for having me as always. Thanks for being with us, Jay and Duncan Alexander. Yes. Yes. All right. (laughs) It's a positive start. Nice. Who's pumped for the weekend then, eh? Jay. Yeah, really pumped for the weekend. You've got a, what, a kick around with the boys, haven't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got a kick around with the boys, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm off to the Emirates for um, Arsenal versus Brentford. Yes. Um, and I think it's going to be spicier than some people are probably predicting. I don't really know why it's why? not on TV. Just because I've actually rattled a few Arsenal fans with my latest article. Oh. I just think that Brentford are in a really, really good place right now. They're mm. unbeaten in nine games in the league. They're playing really well. Um, obviously, Ivan Tony. I think he only Harry Kane and Erling Haaland have scored more in the league than him this season. And I don't want, actually want Arsenal to win the league this year. I think it'd be great. And I think it's been a fantastic narrative and story under Mikel Arteta. But I think some Arsenal fans are probably going to be a bit too arrogant and think, OK, we lost to Everton, let's move on. And now we're going to beat Brentford because we're playing them at home and we beat them 3-0 earlier in the season. And I just feel like it's going to be a much, much tougher contest than, wow. than they're expecting. Jay, I like it. Strong start, strong start. Calling <laughs> Arsenal fans arrogant. <laughs> How are we going to top that? <laughs> Is that what I said? <laughs> yeah. Another game we can't watch. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Can't have nice things. Nah, just imagine it. Uh, amongst the other things, Duncan, Wednesday night spectacular, apparently. Mm. 2 2 draw at Old Trafford. Here's a stat actually Colin Miller saying one of 180 Premier League matches that was not shown in the UK, but of course, folk overseas can. If only there was some way of accessing their coverage. <laughs> but there literally isn't. Anyway, that, that 180 games is equivalent to 47%, 40, almost 50%, mm. math fans, of the entire season's fixtures, which you can't it, watch. That's mad. Yeah, it doesn't bother me that much. Does it not? I mean, sometimes, sometimes you can't watch a game. Uh, right. You'd like to, but you can't. I don't know. Get over it. Do something else. Read a book. <laughs> what? No, 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 no. This right. No, this country's got. Uh, a... Last last night I was. Oh, great! United Leeds. Oh, that would yeah. be a great game. And then I yeah. saw it was on. I thought, oh, I'll do something else. I didn't. I didn't sit there thinking. Oh. How dare they? They take so much of my money, and I can't want the specific Look. thing I want exactly when I want it now. Well, but Tom. They, they do take so much of your money. Do, yeah, they Way do, more than they, they take do. of the folk overseas. You get to see everything. I, know. I mean, they do. And that's, mm. those are probably valid points. I just, personally, it doesn't upset me. All right. It, say you went to... Oh, no, Duncan, well, you we don't all have the social diary of Tom Williams, but... <laughs> I mean, uh, th- this country does have quite a weird relationship with scheduling football in the sense that right. in the 80s, when ITV used to show the, the first division games, the, um, they didn't start showing them till after the clocks went... Uh, what do they do in the autumn? Go back... 
yes. fullback. Yes, fullback, good, good knowledge. Um, they didn't start showing them to the autumn because um, someone at ITV thought, well, no one's going to watch live football in the afternoon when they can be in the garden doing gardening. <laughs> so we'll wait till the clocks go back. So, I mean, there's always been this very, like, reluctance to sort of let people watch the games they want and I think it's, we've got to a point now where people are used to watching as much as they want and as you say paying a lot of money for it and it and particularly a game like Man United Leeds that should be nailed on for being on telly now I know if you really do want to see a game between them this weekend's got a nice nice surprise for you but it looked like a really good game um, I hear that it was a good game well yeah luckily we found somebody who was able to watch it uh, and uh, they'll be joining us very, very Jesse shortly. Marsh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesse Marsh, whose uh, diary is unexpectedly cleared after Monday's Totally Football show. Uh, another topic we'll be touching on very, very shortly. But let's uh, let's get into the weekend's fixtures. It is a weekend of, of needle matches. You've got your two derbies in London, West Ham-Chelsea, which kicks things off Saturday lunchtime. And then that afternoon, Arsenal taking on Brentford. City, who Arsenal will be facing next Wednesday in the league, will be hosting Villa on Saturday, 3pm, an all-Spanish manager affair, if you kind of forget the fact that one's Basque and the other's Catalan. A Palace have Brighton full of M23 beef. There's also Leicester Spurs. Saturday tea time, you've got the That Was Then and This Is How derby, as Eddie Howe returns to his former side Bournemouth for the first time with Newcastle. Sunday there's another cross Pennine Classico as Man United visit Leeds United and uh, after the 2-2 draw on, on Wednesday and then on Monday night uh, Liverpool Everton that one at least doesn't have much history to it but we'll um, we'll come on to those other fixtures later on let's start with Leeds. This is the Totally Football Show part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Monto, always powerful, always lively. What a start! Leeds United seize control of Old Trafford. Just seconds on the board, and what a strike to open the game up! Raw drama. Wednesday night at Old Trafford as Man United and Leeds United drew 2-2. It's been a busy week for Leeds. Monday morning, they fired Jesse Marsh and then that trio of caretakers in charge for the trip to Old Trafford. And then Sunday, they're going to face Man United again. As mentioned, the game Wednesday wasn't televised. But luckily, luckily, Amitai Winehouse of The Athletic did see it. And he's here with us now. Amitai, thank you so much for, for being with us. What, tell us all about the game. It was quite interesting. I thought that uh, Leeds deserved to be ahead based on the first 30 minutes or so. Mm. Manchester United very much came back into it. Leeds were kind of ahead based on the first 30 seconds or 30 so. 30 seconds though. or so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's no surprise that Willie Nonto is the, the, the superstar of the team. He's 19 years old and is driving that team towards safety I want to say but maybe maybe more towards the chance of state safety his goal was brilliant uh, I thought that after half time Leeds came out again and were were quite impressive and you know I, I'm not going to say deserved to score a second but but played in a way that allowed them to score a second goal but I thought that the moment uh, Veghorst went off and 
Ten Hag shuffled that front three and played sort of a more dynamic front three, I, I felt like it was it was very obvious that Manchester United were going to score and and potentially turn the game around. Um, I thought Leeds did very well to to actually draw that game in the end. Mm. Okay, and you got them again on the weekend. Yeah. Do you, do you anticipate the second half continuing on into into the clash at Ellen Road, or is it a fresh start? It's it's an interesting question because I was thinking if if Veghorst starts, I, I I feel like I'm being overly harsh on him, but he was actually fairly anonymous for the 60 or so minutes he was on the pitch. Um, I feel as though if he were to start again, it would potentially allow Leeds to have another chance to, to I don't know, uh, attack, have like a, a, a good game against Manchester United. If they play that front three that they ended with, which was Sancho on the left, Rashford on uh, through the middle, and either uh, Garnacho or Pellistri uh, on the right, I would say that Manchester United have a much better chance of winning at Ellen Road. Mm. So so I think I think Leeds have a chance. It'd be interesting whether a new manager is in and whether there's a different style of play. But yeah, I I, I, I think a lot comes down to the way that Ten Hag sets his team up. All right. The point in the meantime has moved you one point clear of that I say you. As <laughs> Me <moved> personally. Leeds, <laughs> as moved Leeds United one point clear of the bottom three. Where are we now then on Leeds attempts to to find a replacement for Jesse Marsh. Well, based on what Phil Hay reported for The Athletic this morning, it does sound as though Iriola is still the first-choice candidate. The way that it, it, it was reported is that uh, Leeds are at a bit of a standstill when it comes to trying to hire him. Uh, Victor Orta, the director of football, flew out to Spain to try and convince him uh, to move. Uh, it sounds as though Vallecano are not keen to let him go, which is pretty understandable considering how he's doing in the job. Victor Orta has flown back, no deal in place. The other candidate that's been mentioned is uh, Honest Slot, the uh, Feyenoord manager, um, and there's been discussions about moving for him instead. Right. Um, he's, but, he's also going to be, I'm guessing, reluctant to leave because he's top of the Eredivisie right now. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I mean, it shows the market that Leeds are trying to operate in. And, right. and I guess the point that, again, Phil Hay made in his piece uh, this morning is that actually it's quite an impressive. If you saw last night, as a manager, you might be like, ah, there's something to work with here. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Rafa Benitez is available. Rafa Halsenhutl as well. Alan Kerbyshe, <laughs> if you like, as well. Howard but Wilkinson, it, Howard technically. Wilkinson. Yeah. Should they not have sorted this out before getting rid of Jesse Marshall? Was it super urgent that they got rid of the man they called Yank Lampard? I think, I think, <laughs> I think with Marsh, it was that the, the, the way that the club had been acting in the months prior to his sacking suggested that he was not going to get sacked anytime soon. I think that if you ask a lot of people who uh, have an affinity for Leeds, he could have gone in October. Leeds lost at Leicester. The away end turned very badly on him and the way that the team had played. And it would have been very easy for the, the board to get rid of him because results weren't there. They stuck with him. They signed the players he wanted They and, and players that suited his playing style as well. They brought Chris Armisen, who was part of the caretaker trio last night, and everything was pointing towards, you know what, as long as results turn around, this guy's going to stay in charge. Then Nottingham Forest happened. And I think that performance was scary if, you, if, you, if you're concerned about Leeds being relegated because it was so poor against a team who were also in that situation. Results have been very poor. That I think that on Monday, I'm not saying they jumped and pulled the trigger, 
But if they were erring on the side of keeping Marsh, that performance probably turned them. And that's probably why, rather than having a succession plan in place, which was the case when Bielsa was sacked, mm. that's probably why they, they are now not not scrambling around because it's clearly they have something of a plan, but it's why they're not, they've not managed to hire someone on the same day, which is what happened when Bielsa left. That's true. And in the meantime, they did pick up a quite handy point, probably, away at Old Trafford, and the performance was better. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think that, weirdly enough, the, the thing that was... I don't, think there, I don't think there was a particular shift in terms of playing style. I think that, more than anything, they, they, they just removed some of the restrictions that Marsh put in place as a manager. His style was very, very strange, probably summed up by the fact that um, a few weeks ago he gave an interview in which he referred to the reason why he didn't use width being that the goal is in the middle at the end of the <laughs> um, Logic. It, it's, logic. It, it's very like playground logic, isn't it's it? It's like um, position of maximum opportunity yeah. style mm. logic that I didn't even realise that existed. Well, this is I always thought with, with Marsh, and the, this is a really <laughs> weird comparison, but I always thought, having seen both of them manage, his playing style was very similar to like a Neil Warnock. It was very narrow. It was very um, get the ball long, try and win it in the position of maximum opportunity. Rather than playing up the pitch, you win it back up the pitch. Last night, there was like a noticeable difference in terms of the width and the willingness to have Nonto stay out wide and Somerville. And also, during the first half, a graphic flashed on screen which showed that the action areas and the areas where Leeds attacked were the wings, which hasn't been happening under Marsh. So actually, the the... The playing style was almost as if they'd just gone, you know what, we can't change that much in the space of two days, but we can say, let's play wider, let's play with more width, let's try and use the wings. And and to be honest, it worked. Brilliant. All right, well, uh, Man United again. We'll see if it works this time. Uh, at Ellen Road, Leeds haven't beaten Man United in any competition since 2010. So victory would be quite a coup for the uh, trio in charge. Amazon, thank you so much for, for popping in. Thanks very much for having me. And speak to you again soon. Yeah, speak soon. Bye, guys. See you. Amitai Winehouse. On the subject of Man United, they'll have been delighted to see Jaden Sancho finding the net after his, uh, you know, a difficult couple of months. I mean, there's that cliche, isn't there, that this player, player X is like a new signing, but he literally is like a new signing Mm -hmm. because he's, you know, come back looking like the the Jaden Sancho of old and... You know, to Amitai's point about um, Veghorst when he went off, and Veghorst played an hour and made 19 touches. Sancho came on for him and made 35. So, good lord, that shows the difference. Mm. I mean, it pains me as you know, leader of the Valt Veghorst fan club to <laughs> to admit this, but here we are. Here indeed we are. On the subject of Man United, also we're nearing the Glazers' self-imposed deadline for offers for the club. So far, the only one officially in is Sir Jim Ratcliffe's. So if, listener, you're preparing anything, time's ticking by. Uh, according to a paper this midweek, there's a group of individual Qatari investors. Individuals, you understand, Tom, not the state. It's not the state. It's nice and clear, yep. Yeah, because they already own a club in Europe, <laughs> and that might get tricky, who are looking to buy Man United. But I don't know if that's true. Is that true? Does anybody know anything? We don't know. Potentially a tricky thing, though, you know, with PSG and Man United. But we'll see. If, if oh, it would add a real, real extra edge, though, to the, the Manchester rivalry, wouldn't it? If it was oh, yeah. not just United v City, but, but Qatar versus, versus the UAE. Yeah. And that would just get us all really excited, wouldn't yeah, it? That so, would bring some extra that's, that's one, flavor. One angle. Much needed regional rivalry to that Manchester, <laughs> that anodyne Manchester derby. Exactly. Yeah. 
Magnificent. All right. Well, uh, there you go. Looking forward to Leeds Man United. There's loads of other stuff on the way as well, including big games in the capital. We'll touch on them next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. With Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL, and around the world. So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners, and whether there'll be a red card, then use Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre-built quick bet options. Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Yes, London derbies, everyone. West Ham United kicking the weekend off, 12.30 Saturday. Chelsea have just one win in their last seven. Ooh, but then again, West Ham have lost four of their last five games against Chelsea in the league. Chelsea come into this... Game ninth on 30 points. West Ham 16th, yikes, with 19, same as Leeds, actually. Uh, Lone signing, Jao Felix will be back in contention. So there's that. Anything else about this game? I just personally think it'd be quite exciting to see Jao Felix, Madrid and Enzo Fernandez all combine. Wow. Because my theory is at some point, it's just all going to work at Chelsea. Do you know what I mean? You throw enough money at a problem, it normally eventually solves itself um, but obviously they're three really young exciting talents um, Felix obviously showed glimpses very exciting glimpses in that game against Fulham before he got sent off and then obviously Mudrick's you know there's huge hype around him and we, we obviously seen Fernandez win the World Cup so I'm really intrigued to see how they all fit in the same starting lineup together and mm. just how they combine together that's a lovely positive take you're right it could be absolutely stellar couldn't it mm. and oh, you, can, you can watch this one on TV as well can you <laughs> yeah you can really? it's 12, 12.30 yeah Oof. Might, might turn yeah. the old telly on for it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, to Jay's point, I think Enzo Fernandez, who had a really good debut, some of his teammates didn't play as well, but him against Declan Rice I think is going to be really yeah. interesting because essentially it's like, you know, Chelsea went for Fernandez. I'm sure there's there's plenty of clubs that iron up Declan Rice this summer. So, you know, it's, it's rare you go for a head-to-head defensive midfielder super clash, but I think that, <laughs> that could be it. But, I mean, Chelsea have never drawn three 
um, league games nil nil in a row in their entire history, and they've drawn their last two nil nil. I mean, I guess Graham Potter was <laughs> could have been the man to bring bring that in. He had quite a few nil nils at, at Brighton as well. Mm. Yeah, and, yeah, and feels like West Ham are potentially turning a corner, um, having ended the the quite long winless run they were on. Um, beat Everton in the league, uh, got through in the FA Cup against Derby, um, decent draw last time out against Newcastle uh, at St James's Park, um, and you know Jared Bowen is is scoring goals again. We're seeing some of what Lucas Paqueta was was brought in to do, notably getting the equaliser at, at Newcastle, and yeah, obviously with with Chelsea being in this in this funk, I think West Ham will will probably approach this with a degree more optimism than they would have done you know, if this game had taken place two or three weeks ago. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's coming up, as I say, 12.30. Straight afterwards, not far away, Arsenal host Brentford. Now, Jay, you touched on this game a little bit before. To what extent, Tom and Duncan, do you agree that this is yet another of those key, key tests for Arsenal, an Arsenal side, after all, who've just been beaten by Everton and have got Man City the game after this. Yeah, it's a very crucial point of the season for Arsenal. I mean, we said last week, didn't we, that last weekend was the first time it felt like a real sort of what one team does, the other team has to, to respond to. And obviously Arsenal lost to Everton, giving City a big chance, which they then squandered. So Arsenal kind of got away with that one. But as Jay was saying earlier, Brentford are one of the most difficult teams to play against. You know, Arsenal's last two goals they've let in have been from corners. We know how good Brentford are at set pieces. And I'm sure that the the City game coming up in midweek will weigh on Arsenal as well. And they've been incredibly um, consistent starting eleven this year. Um, you know, swap out Jesus for Niketia and it's pretty much, you know, they've named the same team pretty much all season. But you do start to think that that Arteta is going to have to sort of shake it up a bit with these games coming up. I mean, Trossard possibly will get his first start in this game, I might imagine. So I, mean, I think particularly looking at the Everton game, you know, Ben White goes off at half-time and Ben White has been having a brilliant season, but perhaps the last couple of games hasn't hasn't quite been at it. They've got the option of bringing in Takahiro Tomiyasu. As Duncan says, you know, Trossard has come in for Brighton, will be, will be eager for minutes. Does Gabriel Martinelli need a, a rest? They've got Jorginho now as well. And I think if you look at the games to come, particularly that massive game against City in, in midweek, I, I, I wonder whether for the first time in a little while, we might see a slightly different starting eleven against Brentford in the sense that on the one hand, you've got players who've been you know starting regularly, who've perhaps gone off the board a little bit. There's now a bit more squad depth, thanks to the players they brought in in January. And you've got a big head-to-head clash to prepare for in midweek. But again, to go back to what Jay was saying, does that potentially open the door for, for a Brentford team who are on a great run? A bit of a free hit for them mm. in the sense that, you know, that there's no huge expectation that there'd be no shame if in, in them losing this game. But if there is a vulnerability there in Arsenal, then then Brentford look like the ideal team to expose that. Yeah, Brentford have this incredible record against the, the big six, Jay, but did lose 3-0 against Arsenal last time they, they met. Why do you think this time's different? If I'm allowed to be blunt, the 3-0 defeat was the day before the Queen's funeral. I don't oh, know if right. I'm allowed to say that or not. I mean, it was, um, it's a fact, yeah. isn't it? No, it was the day before the Queen's funeral. It were was, they very it was upset? A tw- it was, they were heartbroken. <laughs> um, it was a 12 o'clock kickoff, and I think ever since Brentford had been promoted, obviously Brentford fans are just so excited to be in the Premier League. They don't take it for granted. Every time they come up against a big six side, it's like a, a huge occasion. It's normally on a, a Saturday 5.30 kickoff, or yeah, it's normally quite... You know, that classic, like, under the lights, promoted team, 
kind of like a, I don't want to say box office occasion, but it's a special mm. occasion. And the 12 o'clock kickoff on a Sunday, there was just no atmosphere whatsoever. Um, so they came out really flat. They're missing Christian Norgard, who's one of their best players as well. But even with that 3-0 defeat, Brentford have taken 11 points out of 18 against the big six this season, which is ridiculous. You know, they beat City 2-1 at the Etihad. They beat Man United 4-0. Um, they obviously beat Liverpool 3-1 last month. They just always seem to be bang up for playing against big six sides and Thomas Frank will tweak his tactics and they'll probably go quite direct against Arsenal and, and that will bring its challenges because Tony's very good in the air but he's coming up against Saliba and Gabriel and that will be a challenge so I'm intrigued to see how it plays out but I, I just do just it's not a slight on Arsenal fans far from it I just think it will be a trickier game than some people are expecting it to be right. and no monarchs have died in the last two weeks <laughs> so that'll be that'll at be the time added, of recording boost at time of recording yeah yes. Gabriel Jesus back at London Colney with a beard, looking, uh, you know, just like kind of Craig David-esque <coughs> styling. It reminded nice. me a little bit of when um, boxers are preparing for a fight. So yeah. like AJ, Joshua Boazzi, um, they do it quite a lot where they don't get their hair cut until the day of the fight. So it's like they're kind of preparing for it. They allow, for whatever reason, allow themselves to grow their hair out, get a little bit scraggly. It reminded me of that when I saw it. Mm. And if Jesus is watching this and he's deeply offended that I'm suggesting his beard is scraggly, then I'm very sorry. Right. Excellent. All right. Uh, City, who Arsenal will be facing on Wednesday, will be hosting Villa on Saturday. How do you feel about that one? City, of course, in the news with the fallout from that alleged financial foul play thing. Uh, Martin Ziegler reporting this week it could take two to four years to actually come up with any kind of verdict on that. Nobody really knows, I guess, what the likely outcome is. City, in the meantime, have rehired the super lawyer who successfully defended the charges against uh, UEFA. His name is Lord Panic. They've got uh, panic in their defence. A bit like when Mangala used to play for them. <laughs> 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 uh, but uh, so while we're waiting before that, I mean, one consequence potentially, which is not directly related to the courts, but uh, Pep Guardiola said last year that if he ever found out that Man City had misled him about their financial affairs, when this topic was brought up with him, that he would leave. He said, I will not be their friend anymore. I will be gone the next day. So beyond any points, penalties and other things. I mean, what this might mean for the relationship between the Catalan and the club is a, is, is, a, is a question, literally. It is. At the same time, you know, City were investigated by UEFA over FFP breaches and hit with a punishment by UEFA, which was subsequently overturned by CAS. So it's not as if this has come completely out of the blue. I mean, we were surprised by the timing, mm. but... You know, I mean, there have right. been accountants uh, and investigators sniffing around the city books for a little while. So, mm. yeah, and I'm sure that, I'm, you know, I'm sure that, um, how am I going to get myself out of this sentence? No, um, it's a great sentence, Tom. <laughs> Roll with That's it. what City are thinking as well. But, I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I guess the key difference this time is that UEFA, the charges were time barred, right? So they kind of ran out of time to investigate City, whereas on this occasion, the same rules don't apply in the Premier League and they can't appeal it to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Mm. Whatever the verdict is, eventually, can you tell I did my, my homework this morning? Oh, nice <laughs> one, Excellent. I mean, whatever happens, mm. it, it's a weird situation because it could take two, three, four years and it's mm. just a weird cloud hanging over and it's almost like... Is it or will we all forget by next week because of football? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, but that is a good question because I think... 
some people will forget and just mm. get back into the groove. But I think it does, you know, say City come back and win the league this season, it will. It won't feel like it did. I mean, they're playing Villa, aren't they, this weekend? That's they obviously are. the the game that they won the title last season with that comeback. Um, mm. And the, if they come back against from two 0 down against Villa on Sunday, the vibe is not going to be the same. And football is ultimately about vibes. It would be interesting to hear Pep's response tomorrow, but particularly to what you've just mentioned about his comments a year ago, whether mm. he kind of doubles down on them or if he tries to kind of sidestep it a little bit. Right. Villa currently 11th, looking a lot better under Unai Emery. In fact, since he came in at Villa Park, only Arsenal, Man United and one other team have picked up more points than Villa. Who's that one other team? Brentford. It's Brentford. <laughs> yeah. Although, oh, look at this. Emery's never beaten Pep ever in any competition. How many matches? Uh, one, two, three. He's well, drawn four and lost eight. So. Oof. Yeah. Classic 12, yeah. And Villa did look a bit shaky last weekend, mm. unexpectedly. Um, went ahead against Leicester and ended up losing mm. 4-2. A few individual errors. Bubakar Kamara, who's been excellent since he came in from Marseille, um, culpable um, on a couple of the goals. Uh, so signs perhaps that, that things aren't, you know, aren't all falling into, into place quite as rapidly as, as they might seem. But then at the same time, you know, City are very up and down at the moment. And I, I don't think teams head to the Etihad with quite the same sense of dread as they did in the early weeks of the season. I mean, you know, Q City winning 6-0 now or something. But All right, 4.30 on Sunday, it will be Manchester City against Aston Villa. Potentially a pivotal week or two this in the title race. And in Europe too, Liverpool. We've got Everton on Monday. We've got Real Madrid coming up in the Champions League as well. So their season could be effectively done and dusted in the next week or two or completely relaunched by a couple of fixtures which surely are going to inspire their players again. Will they? Well, let's uh, talk in a second or two about Monday's Merseyside derby. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. February the 9th, date fans, as we record this. February the 9th, 2023. On February the 9th, 1979, what pivotal event in football history happened, Tom Williams? I believe, I believe it was when Trevor Francis became Britain's first million pound footballer. Well, it so happens you're right, which is really handy because, Duncan, you've gone and done homework on that very topic. So he was signed by Nottingham Forest for a million pounds, which caused a bit of a kind of earthquake in society. What's a football player doing costing a million pounds? Now, what is it? Uh, 44 years on, that was 79. 44 years on, the British transfer record is... 105 million pounds. So that's quite the rate of inflation. Duncan, you very handily, mm. to put it in perspective, have have kind of projected what yeah. household items I've, would 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 cost now if they'd gone up by the same amount. Yeah, I've gone very one show. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting because is some it? stuff, if it had increased by the same amount, is yeah. ridiculous. So a pint of beer would now be £50, which even in London... How much would a Freddo be? <laughs> Um, I don't know, but, but uh, Fredo would probably be about 20 quid, I think, based right. on his calculations. I mean, I'd still buy one. I mean, it's, <laughs> a, a colour TV would be 28 grand. 28 grand for a colour TV. Seems steep. A can of Coke. And you would... still wouldn't be able to watch the Premier League on No, <laughs> no. A can of Coke would be 14 pounds, which I think most people would bulk at even now. I mean, it's like it's going to Switzerland, isn't it? But what I found interesting, yeah. Oh, also 28 quid for a loaf of bread, I'm not paying that. Um, what I did find interesting was... House prices, if they'd increased by the same amount, the average house price would be cheaper. Two, yeah, two two point one million, which is a lot, but it's yeah. not doesn't it's sound not. as ridiculous as paying you know fifty quid for a pint of beer. It just shows you know maybe that this country's gone awry with uh, with property. But um, mm. but yeah, l- luckily I suppose even even these days things don't haven't gone up as much as footballers. Right, and On that's that, a green. Yeah, nice. Okay, all right. Next on the one show, the Merseyside Derby. <laughs> Kiefer O'Neill joins us now to talk about an absolutely crucial game on Monday night. Kiefer, thank you so much for joining us. What, what a game in prospect Monday night. Everton, one win in the last 27 meetings with Liverpool. When was the last time, though, that they faced a Liverpool side this bad? Probably in the lockdown when they, they won without any any crowd, was it? Because Liverpool, I think, were in the midst of their injury crisis then. Um, in 2021, was it? Uh, but yeah, not for a long time. I think, you know, they'll be licking the lips of coming to Anfield at the moment with Liverpool, you know, having just been beat by Wolves 3-0, which, you know, is a scoreline and result that didn't really shock many people, which is, I think sort of tells of how far Liverpool have fallen this season. Yeah, last weekend all about the energy of Everton and, and the lethargy of, of Liverpool, if you will. What, what a situation, 10th in the table. They're, they're 11 points adrift of fourth place Newcastle, who they're going to be facing in the Premier League match after this derby. And then after that, they've got Real Madrid and it all begins with Sean Dyche's side. How, how key a week is this for I mean, the season and, and 
a lot of things going forward. It just feels massive, you know, especially with the game on Monday night. It's the derby, the one in the season that you cannot lose. You know, obviously Liverpool have such a good record at home. I think they've lost just that one in the last 22 Merseyside derby. So, you know, not losing is priority, but winning just seems, you know, far off and a difficult thing to imagine for Liverpool at the minute because of how bad they've been playing. You know, we know there's a lot of sort of caveats for that, which is, you know, injuries to key players. Obviously, Van Dijk and Konate both being out at the moment is not helping that. Obviously, Diogo Jota, I think, is expected back sooner rather than later, which is good news. Luis Diaz is still out, who brings a lot of that press and intensity off the left, has, you know, been lost there and across the pitch. I think for Liverpool, you know, the midfield has been a, a point of sort of question for the fans with no reinforcements coming in in January, you know, to much to their disappointment because it felt like it needed a boost with players like Naby Keita, Oxlade-Chamberlain, obviously James Milner, their contracts all run out at the end of this season. We're not sure, you know, what's going to happen after that. Players like Thiago, Henderson, you know, not getting any younger. It feels like this gap between, you know, older players and, you know, younger players and we have no, Liverpool have no real sort of peak age players in midfield which is I think problematic and just yeah just not really a good mood or energy around the team at the minute the body language of the players and and everything is not good but one game which can turn it all around is of course a win over Everton and the Merseyside derby yeah that would be the hope I guess but I imagine that Klopp's plans for kind of reigniting the team go beyond the fact that just playing Everton what what have they been doing in, in the in the time since the a huge defeat at Wolves. After Wolves, I think on Sunday they would have had like a recovery sort of day session and then they've been given two days off. I'm not sure that if that was planned or but I'm sure that'll be, you know, helpful to get away and, you know, Monday and Tuesday and they were back in on training Wednesday and, you know, fully focused on on Everton and maybe, you know, a little bit thinking about the distance and what's to come with Newcastle, Real Madrid obviously they're on the horizon, massive Champions League game. Maybe, you know, Liverpool's season is almost defined by that now given the form in the league table and, you know, where they sit. It's just not what anyone expected when they played Man City in the um, Community Shield at the start of the season. Everyone expected this Liverpool team to be, you know, battling it out for the title and they are so far off everyone's expectations. And I think it's just about getting them back back to that level. And, you know, that starts with Everton and then, you know, it, it builds from there. Based on what you think, if do you see them getting back to that level? Do you see them challenging for the top four? Part of me hopes and thinks that they can in terms of watching them over the last few seasons has been absolutely incredible. And I know they're capable of, you know, putting on those, um, you know, those winning runs. But this team just looks so devoid of confidence at the minute and leadership. Everyone's kind of looking at each other and pointing the finger and, you know, no one's really taken on that that role of, right, come on, let's get it together. I think they can, you know, put a run together, but it just feels so far off and, you know, you only have to look at the 2023 uh, form so far. If you, There's a form table there, the bottom of it, with, you know, a point from four Premier League games and I think they've got a, a minus eight goal difference, which is, you know, leaves them absolutely rock bottom of that. So, you know, if we thought the start of the season and before the World Cup was bad, then this is absolutely even worse. So, you know, you'd imagine they're going to come back from it, but there's a, a lot of hope in that, that they will, but... 
we, we, I guess we'll see. We will. All right, Kiefer, thank you so much for joining us. In, in, enjoy your day off, Kiefer. Thank you very much. <laughs> wow, Kiefer O'Neill. Mm. Somber note. I, do you guys believe still in, in that Liverpool, or do you think it, that's gone? Maybe forever. I mean, watching them, it's hard to believe that they're they're going to come back because mm. they've been absolutely terrible each of these last three league games, particularly that Wolves game. And um, I think I've said this before on the pod, but uh, crucial mistakes in every game and different players each time, which only sort of just adds to the feel that there is some very profound malaise, um, you know, taking a grip of the club. Um, but Kiva mentioned uh, the last time Everton went to Anfield and won in the league, which was 2021, when we were still in, in lockdown. Um, and that was when Liverpool were in that spectacular late winter, early spring rut when their season just completely came off the rails. But they did actually turn things around that season. They were unbeaten in the last 10 games, won eight, drew two, finished third, qualified for the Champions League, relatively comfortably I think perhaps not um, so it is possible to mm. turn a situation like this around they're not a million miles off the European places but you know and again as Kiva said it's just hard to see what levers there are for Jurgen Klopp left to pull because right. the players he's relying on at the moment are not doing the business there are obviously lots of injuries and there are players who are closer to coming back. I don't think Van Dijk and Canati are too far away. No, d- Jota's obviously not far away either. Jota, there has been some suggestions he might be there for Monday. But, mm. so, I mean, but that's, I mean, if you're a Liverpool fan, what else do you cling to for hope at the moment? Because the football is so bad and, and it's not just the results. It, the performance level has been really poor and mm. it's just it's just really basic sub-Sunday league mistakes game after game after game well in the rut that they're in usually a game against Everton would be the the kind of ideal fillet but this Everton have pulled a lever they brought in Sean Dyche they had an immediate effect last weekend against Arsenal are you anticipating more of that kind of thing for the Toffees on Monday night yeah I think if um, Everton go there just to to spoil what Liverpool are trying to do it just plays into Everton's hands perfectly. Liverpool are going to be so frustrated. That, as as Kiva kind of mentioned, this is the game where if they turn their season around with this game, it's huge. But if it just conti- if the malaise just continues, then you can imagine by the 60th minute, if it's nil-nil and Deitch's plan is working perfectly, then the fans are getting a little bit irritated. And I think when I look back to their rut in lockdown, it didn't feel quite as... I'm trying to think of the right word. I don't know if frustrating is, is the right word, but Klopp just seems a bit more agitated this time yeah. around. I think back then, because Van Dijk was injured, I think Joe Gomez were in, was injured and they were long-term injuries, right? There was no hope of them coming back anytime soon. So he was playing Nat Phillips at centre-back. He was playing the, I've forgotten what it is, Reese Jones was it at centre-back as well? Like a really inexperienced Premier League Fabinho player. was there a lot as Fabinho well. Fabinho was there a lot. It was almost a bit like, okay, th- this it is kind of blip, out of my hands. It? it was a weird blip, it whereas was, this feels more like a systemic yeah, decline. Yeah, that feel, felt like, okay, your the heartbeat of your defence has been completely ripped out. And of course, Canate and Van Dijk are out at the moment, but actually they've got better replacements now than they did back then. So it feels like it's just a collective underperformance in, on this occasion. Whereas back then it felt like there's a little bit of bad luck with the injuries and the lockdown factor. And it just feels like there's less excuses this time around. And also, I thought it was interesting, Sean Dyche was, uh, he referenced the 80s Everton and, you know, he was very much buying into that sort of history of the last time Everton were, I guess, the the best club in the country. And in that 
in that context going the way to Anfield, I think he will really relish that. Only two Everton managers have ever won their first Merseyside derby. Um, Joe Royal back in 1994 and someone I've not heard of called Dick Molyneux, which I imagine what was what a lot of Liverpool fans were saying last weekend in the Premier League, but um, <laughs> but that was back in 1894, so it's pretty pretty rare. But you could see you could see Deitchie pulling this off. Really, Dick Molyneux. See, that's interesting because you're you're fascinated by the first name. I'm fascinated by the second. name. I'm fascinated by both names, and oh, what okay. a great name it is for a character. Mm-hmm. Molyneux, Dick Molyneux, detective. Yeah, private or private Dick, private Dick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ooh. FA Cup happened midweek. There were replays, more replays. Burnley beat Ipswich Town 2-1, which has earned them a fifth-round clash with Fleetwood Town, who won 1-0 against Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, Also on Tuesday, Grimsby Town beat Luton Town to earn a tie with Southampton. Sheffield United uh, rained on Wrexham's parade a little bit. Norwood crossfield. It's a Three one in that replay. They're going to be taking on Spurs, and on Wednesday Fulham. Oh, had a tough time of it at the Stadium of Light against Sunderland, uh, but came through three two winners, and they'll have a clash with Leeds at the end of the month this weekend. Fulham are up against Forest. That's one of those three o'clock Saturday games. Three o'clock on Saturday as well. You can't see Brighton against Palace. Leicester hosting Spurs, which could be entertaining. Mention the fact that. Leicester lost the previous meeting 6-2. Saints are taking on Wolves. That could be a key fixture uh, for the future of their manager, Nathan Jones. And uh, also, but not at 3 o'clock, but at 5.30, you've got Bournemouth-Newcastle, which is Eddie Howe's first visit to the Vitality as a visiting manager. I guess a nice moment to take stock of what a great job he's been doing at Newcastle, even though they have drawn... Four of their last five and only scored two goals in that period. But hey, I was just going to say on Southampton, mm. I was obviously there last weekend when um, Brentford beat them you really comfortably three yeah. nil. And Nathan Jones has that quite mm. bizarre press conference afterwards. And um, it's one of those press conferences where within ten seconds, everybody kind of stops looking at their laptop and is kind of just fully zoned in on what Nathan Jones was saying. Um, but you couldn't help get the impression that he's on his last kind of legs there to kind of come out swinging in that way. Mm. So the comments that he made, which Mm -hmm. began with this, I've let the team down here, Gambit, he made them in the press conference as well as to the BBC and in the the kind of post-game interviews. Yeah, so Jacob Tanswell, who obviously covers um, Southampton for The Athletic, said, you know, we've just seen that you've said this to the broadcaster. Would you kind of like to clarify your comments? Um, so he was saying that basically he'd compromised his values yeah. as a manager um, because of personnel and, and other behind the scenes issues that we don't know about. But he made the clear distinction that he hadn't compromised his values because of fan reaction. Mm. Um, he said that he's compromised his values and the fans have then reacted accordingly. Um, but to just kind of say you've, that he'd compromised his values is not a good sign, especially when he went in just before the World Cup, didn't he? So he had quite an extended period of time to kind of settle in there. Yeah. Um, and for it to just feel so 
chaotic already um, is not a good sign at all. And yeah, you just felt like that was a manager kind of with quite like one big last roll of the dice saying, come on, we've got to show a bit more fire, a bit more fight. Come on, let's do this. Mm. And if they lose very limply at the weekend, then you wouldn't be surprised if Southampton pulled the trigger. Against an informed Wolves side who are fresh from that 3-0 over Liverpool. Well, it's interesting that it's Wolves because they obviously changed managers at roughly the same time. Mm. Possibly chose better. And, and you know, people that that go, what, what difference does a manager make? It's the same players. Well, before Lopetegui was at Wolves, their conversion rate was uh, 4.5% lowest in the Premier League. I mean, that will get you relegated if you're wasting that many chances. It's actually up to 10.6 under Lopetegui. So he's he's getting goals out of them, and we know that Wolves haven't been scoring, and that's been their issue. So he's he's kind of semi-fixed Wolves now, and they probably will be all right. And, all uh, right. You can't say that about Southampton. No, you can't. Okay. And I kind of feel like you can think what Nathan Jones thinks but just don't say it you don't you don't help yourself in any no. way by saying that this idea that he has compromised on his principles mm. you know as a, the a manager famous Nathan Jones principles the famous <laughs> Nathan Jones principles with which we're all so familiar among the best of the, in Europe in, in Europe just look at, look at the, <laughs> look at the stats Defending the but I mean occasionally a manager right. will will go to a club yeah. and will you know have to adapt to the new environment and then realise actually no I need to I need to you know be a little bit more pointed in what I'm trying to do and sort of rejig their approach and then it works but just do that behind the scenes. Don't show your your workings. You don't need to tell us what's what's going. Yeah, on. a little too much. I I always felt that with Scott Parker. That was you were just seeing a little t- bit too much raw flesh in those in those interviews. I think if you were a player in that dressing room and he made the comments about he compromised his values because of personnel, mm. especially because he said that those comments a few days after Southampton paid what twenty million pounds for Camaldine Sulimana and they bought. Anuachu from Genk, I think it was. Like they've backed him in the transfer market. In the dressing room, you'd feel a little bit like, "What do you mean you, you've compromised your values because of personnel?" You'd feel as if he was basically saying, "I've not got players that are good enough to do what I'm trying to do." And he's well, also done that manager thing of like when they have won, like when they beat City, he was very pleased. It's yeah, like yeah. at least when Pep does it, like he did after that they um, City beat Spurs, it was after a win. Mm, you know, right. like you, you got to choose your moments. I think mm, that's so very true. Anyway, key game for him then, because already on Monday, last Monday, there was word that he, you know, it might be just a matter of time. Uh, also, as I mentioned, you've got uh, the similarly challenged Bournemouth down the bottom end of the table, down the southern end of the division, as they are geographically in the United Kingdom, hosting uh, Newcastle United. It's a, it's a tough game that one for Gary O'Neill. It is, yeah, um, because that rally that Bournemouth went on when he went in as interim coach stopped mm. the moment he became where, a full-time where coach. Where else have we seen that happening? Oh, Man United. Man United, Solskjaer. yeah. It's almost <laughs> exactly the same. Um, and I feel bad for Gary O'Neill because, I mean, you know, he, he, he uh, managed to turn things around pretty quickly, managed to change the atmosphere, and it looked like Bournemouth were moving in the right direction. Obviously, now they're very much not moving um, in the right direction. But I think, I think one thing that that might give him and Bournemouth a bit of optimism is the fact that Newcastle are in, if not a rut, then, you know, a bit of a slowdown, four draws in the last five, only two goals scored. They're still not letting many goals in, but, you know, Callum Wilson, okay, he scored against West Ham. Has he scored against West Ham? Yeah, he's scored against West Ham. Hmm. Callum Wilson's gone off the ball a little bit. Miguel Amaron is not scoring goals as frequently as he was. And... Yeah, Alexander Isa's back, but he's still finding his feet after that long injury that he had. So, yeah, Newcastle not not quite as all-conquering as they looked a few weeks ago. All right. 
Well, that one's at 5.30. Now, before that, there's a whole raft of interesting games. Leicester Tottenham. Hmm. Leicester, who had that stirring comeback away at Villa last weekend, but as I mentioned, 6-2 they were beaten by Spurs in London back in September. Mm. Have they turned a corner, do you think, Leicester, with the with the new arrivals in January? I think that's definitely helped them. They they started terribly and then turned a corner in the autumn. Mm. And look, I thought they'd they'd push on and then the Premier League resumed and they looked terrible again. But Madison back, of course. I'm, yeah, I think yeah. that's that's a big a big uh, big return. I mean, obviously, they have severe problems against Harry Kane. He scored 18 oh. goals in 15 Premier League games against Leicester. This is the Harry Kane's last two clubs derby, of course. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it before, but that there's that time Leicester were playing Watford in the playoffs and they had Vardy and Kane on the bench. It's like, lads, come on, <laughs> use what we got. Um, I mean, obviously he hit 200 goals last weekend. Maybe he'll go 300 against Leicester, but um, seems unlikely. But yeah, I think, and obviously the last season Spurs were trailing after 95 minutes in this game and still won, which is the, the latest comeback ever in Premier League history. Good That's, Lord. Um, you know, hashtag Spursy. Oh, no, it doesn't, doesn't mean that, does it? So, um, <laughs> so yeah, but let's, to be honest, add that into the 6-2 earlier this season. Right. Leicester Spurs is one of the best. Premier League it, it always produces goals it should be good again mm. worth good flying Premier abroad League. to watch yeah I'm going to go to Boulogne to watch this okay yeah remember that was a thing mm. when you, people used to go and get cheaper uh, well drink usually mm. uh, across the, uh, the the channel wonder if that will soon be a thing people taking their cars across the channel to watch Premier League games to Calais hypermarkets Tom would no Tom goes to, to France most weekends oh yeah that's why Tom's not you're going to Boulogne Cement that's why mm. Tom Williams is adopting is strange crone yeah. voices <laughs> when discussing the Premier League because you get to watch it all anyway because you're going to yeah. be in Paris I yeah weekend. I do yeah get to watch Are you all there the this weekend I'm not there on Saturday so I won't be able to watch the 3 o'clock games uh, I will be there on Sunday ha pick up a book and read that instead <laughs> instead of watching Crystal Palace against Brighton uh, although, to be fair, the last two clashes in these two have been one more draws. So, yeah. Oh, but Mittama. Mm. Five goals in his last seven. Woof. A23 Classic which yeah. is funny because both sets of fans hate that. I hate that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like Full of Nottingham game. Forest. That could be a good game. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Two teams going very well. Forest have only lost one of the last eight league games. Good Lord. Which is remarkable for them. Right. For a promoted team who have, albeit, signed 29 new well, players. Yeah, but, I mean, to echo your points about Chelsea, uh, Jay, the prospect of seeing those players together, I think it must be a... I mean, particularly for Forest fans, that must be really exciting. Yeah, and, t- and even when Forest weren't doing particularly well at the start of the season, I always felt like Steve Cooper would be the man to, to turn it around because he's got great pedigree as a coach. And I think what we've seen in this... R- you know, a great run of um, results that they've had at the moment is Morgan Gibbs-White really comes to the fore um, and his partnership with Brennan Johnson's mm. really flourished and they're two very young British talents who um, I think have kind of settled into the Premier League or settled into this level a little bit better in the last couple of um, weeks. It was 3-2 at the City Ground back in September Fulham scoring three goals in the space of six minutes but that was a different a different forest. I mean, it goes to show how much the Premier League has, has grown that you these two teams have got Burnt Leno and Kalo Navas in goal yeah. for them. I mean, that's two sort of continent-wide admired goalkeepers and just, you know, two promoted teams having a nice time in the Premier League. There you go. There you go. You can't see them playing on the continent anymore. Actually, that's the only place you can see them playing. Yeah. yeah. What's left to talk about today? Oh, one thing, Jay. Uh, Adrian 
was in on Monday scoffing <laughs> at your description of De Silva's pass for Vissa, I think. Yeah. As being one of the was it one of the best you'd ever seen or one of the best of the season? Describe the pass first of all. So Southampton had a throw in, Brentford turned the ball over, um, got the potential to attack, but it wasn't a great situation at that moment in time. And the silver without really looking just kind of pinged the ball with the outside of his left foot, sailed over and Bree's head perfectly. Mm. Um, just one of those moments where Bree comically jumps and it just kind of like <laughs> clips his hair. And yeah, landed for Vissa, Vissa crossed and Mbumo scores and it was it was 2-0 Brentford. And it's one of those moments where the entire crowd just went, ooh. Adrian's, Adrian's point was that the, the pass wasn't actually all that accurate. And those kind of, those, those long range balls are actually, they actually look better sometimes than they are because the guy at the other end does the work. Um, yeah, I'm pretty certain he said I need to watch more football matches as well. I mean, we um, all do, Jay. But, you know. But it's so hard in this country. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> there I was on a Monday morning just catching stray shots from, from Adrian Clark. Um, I, I, I get what you're saying. Much like people in the crowd of League Two games <laughs> about 20 years ago. <laughs> um, look, it was just um, a very inventive piece of skill, spur yeah. of the moment. Mm. And I think what made it better is that Brentford scored from it. Um, I would maybe be a bit more critical if it hadn't led to that moment, but it did. Um, so in my mind, it is a it's, it's a very special pass. I'll stand. I'll you know I'll die on that hill, as they say. Excellent. And it was left-footed, which just gives it a little exactly. additional aesthetic uplift. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of Justice Silver anyway. So um, he's had well, he had like a year out with a really tricky hip injury. So anytime he does anything on a football pitch, I'm just quite like happy that he's at this level because yeah, he was out for a year and kind of missed a lot of games for Brentford. Very quickly, huge result in France last night. Oh, yeah. Marseille, Marseille. 2, PSG 1. Oof. Marseille's first home win over PSG since 2011. Their first win over PSG in the Coupe de France since 1991. Wow. Marseille flying. Alexis Sanchez, Ruslan Malinovsky with the goals. And PSG, who've got the first leg of their Champions League tie against Bayern Munich next week, mm. all over the place. Sergio no, um, Ramos, dreadful. Neymar, dreadful. Mbappe, injured. They've lost twice in the league already this year looking v v wobbly as someone tell as them by and stomp towards there's a them. world cup coming up in three months <laughs> yeah well i mean we did we, i would like that was a that was a, a concern slash mm. a query with regard to psg how their superstars would react to this post world cup period and well, they've Messi not reacted had come to it back all in, that well. in, in in the form of certainly of his best form in Paris, but uh, wasn't oh. able to save things on Wednesday night. Yeah, and I mean, his form post-World Cup has been patchy. Um, really? There, yeah, there have been a couple of decent... I mean, he was given a decent break after the World Cup, as you'd expect. Mm. Uh, there have been a couple of excellent performances and then a few anonymous ones, and last night was one of the anonymous ones. But Marseille right. were absolutely brilliant. Velodrome was packed to the rafters, crackling atmosphere, and Igor Tudor has got Marseille playing this very aggressive front foot style, and they basically just walked all over PSG. It was really impressive. Mm, there you go. As you mentioned, Bayern Munich will be visiting uh, the Parc des Princes next week. So a delicate moment in their season as well. We'll be talking more about that when we preview the Champions League football in next Tuesday's Totally Football Show. For that on Monday, a look back at all the excitements this weekend. So uh, catch us then, listener, why don't you? For now, it's many thanks to you for making us your podcast of choice at this time. 
Duncan Alexander, thanks for being part of it all. Tom Williams, thanks for not doing that weird voice again, <laughs> ever, please. Didn't realise how weird it was it as was I was so doing weird. it. Yeah, it was it pretty was weird. So well, weird, I'll, you know, yeah. I look forward to listening back to that. Yeah. <laughs> and Jay Harris as well. And everybody else who joined us, Kiva and Amitai as well. And producer Jesse, lovely stuff. Have a great weekend from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. 